The Comics Course is an offering of the lectures from Miskatonic University's Literature 209, Graphical Literature and Society and History, offered as a publicly available podcast. Welcome back to The Comics Course. This is your Professor Hamby, but I am here without Rowan today. <clears throat> now, I apologize if I'm a little low energy today. It was a long night last night. Professor Bradbury came by with gallons, and let me point out, this is plural gallons of mead. Apparently he was in Boston and ran into some fellow who sold him seven gallons of mead and two crates of stroopwafels from the back of a white passenger van. Now, I know what you're thinking. That's not healthy to gorge on mead and stroopwafels. Well, I did call my nutritionist, Yunji, and she told me that since honey is an animal byproduct, it is technically protein in a meal. And to make sure that I ate stroopwafels with it, and that I leaned out of windows to get a lot of fresh air. Sometimes I do worry about the advice she gives me, but it was the green light I wanted, so I went with it. Now, Rowan is not with me because of the annual cleaning of the cafeteria's grease trap yesterday. The cafeteria crew don't do it because they're unionized, so students have to do it. And I think the students are all right now cuddling, getting hosed down, and trying to put it behind them. I have been assured they will be medicated for the evening. But since I was drinking mead, I started thinking about Norse mythology especially Neil Gaiman's efforts at it. And this will take a moment, but let me lay some groundwork as we get there. First off, I'm not primarily talking about Gaiman's prose book, Norse Mythology, that was published in, I think, 2018, though that will be relevant. I am rather referring to the comic books, which have now been collected into three volumes, in 2021, 2022, and 2023, respectively. This is a direct adaptation of that prose work, however, so a lot of what I'm going to say applies to both. Before I go further, I'm going to take what will appear to be a tangent and tell you a story inspired by Norse mythology. Once upon a time, there was an Aesir named Jürgen, he was a favored son of Freya, who boned this Joden while Odin had disappeared because she wasn't going to be a weepy bitch just because he was wandering Midgard telling farm maidens, no, I'm a god really, want to meet my one-eyed Midgard serpent? So someone told Freya that Jürgen was going to drown one day, a prophecy of some sort. So she got a promise from every body of water to not let him drown. Thus one day he was wandering around with his favorite bull, and saw across a lake a family starving. He walked across the water as it refused to swallow him and pulled his bull behind him. When he reached the far shore, the bull had drowned, and he told the family to cut it open and feast. In the morning, he used his Jotun magic to summon the winds and pull the dirt and leaves from the shores and stones and restored his bull to life. And then the family slaughtered the bull and ate it again until the next day, when Jürgen raised it again, and so he fed the family. Now I have a quiz for you. Did you hear that and think, ah, it has some good action, but maybe it's too short? 
which would be a perfectly valid criticism. Maybe a little plain, too. Did you think it was silly? Did you see religious themes? I ask these questions because how people respond to mythology matters. Are you one of the people that when you hear a myth, you dismiss it as silly superstition? Or do you see it as the popular fiction of a bygone age, filled with thrilling tales and maybe some insight to how these people saw their world? Where did religion begin and fiction end for them? Do these questions interest you, or are you the person who says, now, Christianity, that isn't mythology, it's religion, right? I mean, Jesus didn't do anything silly like walk on water like Jürgen did. Uh, oh, wait, he did. Okay, okay, Jesus didn't have an origin story for the power, other than being the son of God, which is frankly lazy storytelling in my book. The virgin birth and the wise men were a nice touch, but frankly they'd been around in plenty of older proto-stories, so it is hardly original. Resurrecting animals to eat? I clearly stole that from a tale involving Thor and his goats, but it's not like Jesus used magic to feed the multitudes and way he did. But note the differences here, and they are important. Jesus walked across water because he can. Jürgen has an origin story. Jesus feeds the multitudes with a few loaves and fish. Jürgen cuts open a beast and summons winds to create a resurrection. You're welcome to believe that the Jesus story happened and Jürgen's didn't. This isn't a theology class, and I am not an evangelist of any stripe whatsoever. But as a lit professor, I can say one story clearly has more style than the other. And these reactions matter. It is well established both academically and legally that superheroes carry forward a storytelling tradition from mythology. You don't have to take much effort to deconstruct the elements of Superman or Captain Marvel into gods. It's been done in courts. Heck, we even have Thor as a superhero Thor. The surprise factor here should be zero. If you think a child growing up in the Viking age didn't hear the stories of Thor with the same feeling of, this is cool as hell, as a kid now reading Green Lantern, you are very much wrong. So what about children discovering those older myths for the first time? As an American, I was primarily exposed as a child to mythologies through two books widely used by public schools, Edith Hamilton's mythology, which focused on Greek and Roman myth, and Bullfinch's mythology, which acted more like a survey and included one of the few ways to learn about Norse mythology at that time. Pre-internet. I would not be surprised if that was largely true for those throughout the English-speaking countries at the time. And yes, we thought they were cool. And I suspect that the same children who embraced mythology as really cool and fun to read were also the children thrilled by books. And some of those kids grew up to ask, what do the old Norse tales say of the old Norse, just as what do modern comic books say about us? Now... I was a child of the 1970s, as Neil Gaiman is. And one fascinating thing about when you grow up is that things that are of the recent past 
generation still have a presence in your generation. For me, and I suspect Gaiman, that included comics from companies like Gold Key and Dell, as well as Charlton and older DC and Marvel Atlas titles. And something from those old companies that they were making far more of back then than they have since, in fact, you don't really ever see them at all now, are adaptations from classic fiction and folktales. Early comics had plenty of adaptations of public domain stories, adventure novels, as well as folktales and mythology, ranging from American folktales like Davy Crockett to educational comics, later called EC, uh, who did Bible stories. These were not done as interpretations or reinventions, but they attempted to reflect the stories as accurately as possible. These comics were in bargain bins, secondhand stores, flea markets, and passed down collections. And though no longer popular, you could find them pretty easily. All of this brings us to the comic book series that has been collected in those three volumes I mentioned called Neil Gaiman's Norse Mythology. This is distinct from the prose work, which is simply called Norse Mythology and happens to be by Neil Gaiman. Now, we know that Neil Gaiman loves Norse mythology. Aside from writing the prose work, um, his works have utilized it. Sandman featured Odin quite a bit, as well as borrowing the idea of the Raven Companion from Old One-Eye. Other Norse cast make appearances. American Gods, which has not only been very popular as a novel, but adapted in adapted into a, a popular series by HBO, makes significant use of Norse mythology with Odin as a major character. I've not done a comprehensive survey, but I wouldn't be surprised if these figures pop up in some of his other stories as well. And Norse mythology itself, the book, is basically a love letter to discovering these tales. Perhaps a love letter to Thomas Bullfinch in some small part as well as whatever other sources. I, I suspect Neil Gaiman is the sort of soul that, like me, that once he discovered it, the local library became absolutely uh, pillaged for additional material. And we know that Neil Gaiman loves comics. And from his generation, we can guess that he's probably familiar with those old renderings of public domain stories uh, that I talked about and that he was probably exposed to them as a child in the same time period that he was being exposed to Norse mythology in the British school system. Probably much like how I was being exposed. Now, when Gaiman wrote the prose of Norse mythology, he was not trying to reinvent anything. He put together stories he loved in an easily readable English language and made them available and maybe flexed a little bit. Gaiman knows that he has very loyal fans, and I think his flex was in the best way possible. He used his borderline cult figure status to make something that he loved available to a wide audience. And I'm pretty confident that when approached about these comics, he thought back to those old adaptation comics and thought, I want it to be like that. I want to make this available to people. And if we talk about the comic version, I suspect Gaiman did not write the scripts on these. 
I suspect his credit as writer is from the original prose version of Norse mythology, and based on the credits, P. Craig Russell did the adaptation work and probably the scripting work as well. And as an artist, he also did covers and some of the interiors. This makes sense. Gaiman is an old working partner with Russell. Gaiman is known to be willing to hand things off to people he trusts and would likely trust him with the material his name is attached to. And it's no coincidence that he picked Russell for Sandman issue 50, a big landmark issue. Very few comic series ever make it to an issue 50. And I've gushed over P. Craig Russell's art here before, specifically for the 50th issue of Sandman Ramadan. I can do the same for everything of his I've ever seen, including the interiors here on Norse mythology. Other artists also do an amazing job, like Mike Mignola. However, many of the interiors here are actually not to my taste. And after thinking about it a while, I realized why. They're often very old school and basic. And that's when it hit me. If Norse mythology as a prose work is a sort of love letter to Edith Hamilton and Thomas Bullfinch, then Norse mythology, the comics, are a love letter to those old gold key comics. And the story of the Norse cannot be told without the twilight of the gods, the thread that connects the disparate pieces of Gaiman's retelling. It's hardly original to be fascinated by cyclic patterns of death and rebirth, and yet we aren't fascinated with these things because they are original, but because they literally fascinate us. It is something bigger than us. Have you ever stood by the sea and been awed by it? If you haven't, then you don't have a soul. This is part of why we tell legends. Not just to explain, but to take the things that are so big that we are lost against them and make them something we can grasp. The tale of Ragnarok is also a tale of mankind itself, of a fear of the end and a faith that every end, no matter how horrible, whether it is from the fire giant Surtur or a nuclear bomb, that we will stand after it. So why did I find myself reading the graphical adaptation of Norse mythology and thinking about it? I suppose this is a long way to get to a point, but if the prose version of Norse mythology makes the stories available to a new generation of late teens and 20-somethings and 30-somethings and 40-somethings who have discovered Gaiman through things like American Gods or Good Omens, then maybe the version organized by Russell and Gaiman can bring it to those even younger. And yes, I want them to, because I don't begrudge a child enjoying a superhero comic, but most are corporate disposable entertainment where profit margins are more important than the story. I want to put stories that are primarily stories in front of kids. And the battle of the gods, Thor the Aesir against the world serpent, in many ways the sea itself, Odin of the Aesir, a symbol of civilization and knowledge who sacrifices vision for lore versus the hungry wolf. Heimdall, vigilance itself, facing off against self-destruction in the form of Loki. These are a tale about mankind itself. We are not just reading a great story, but connecting to something meaningful, both to those who created the tales and in generations who have reconnected to them since. 
and I see things relevant to our modern day in here. Something timeless and vast, like the ocean. So yes, in many ways, I thought the prose mythology, uh, the prose version of Norse mythology was an odd flex, but I'm genuinely glad to see the comics in existence, and I will gladly give them out as gifts to children to help them discover the tales too. And I kind of hope you might as well. Class is dismissed, but if you need to talk to the professor, listen on. My link tree is at l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e forward slash prof hamby. That is p-r-o-f-h-a-m-b-y. That has all the places that I post announcements about new episodes, including the huge variety of podcasting services and YouTube that I drop them on. Additionally, I actually spend a little bit of personal time on a couple of networks, specifically Twitter. That's at Prof Hamby, P-R-O-F-H-A-M-B-Y, and on Tumblr, where the blog is called simply Comics Course. And I also, for some of my more narrative cast episodes, also post the transcriptions or notes from my podcasts. I'll see you around, and if you want to contact me, DMs are always open.